Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania's April 26th primary is just eight days away. In Lancaster County, where the 13th State Senate District is located, voters will be electing a new senator to replace Senator Lloyd Smucker, who is running for Congress. There are three Republicans running for the position. All three appear on our program today to debate the issues. Joining us are Ethan Demi, Scott Martin, and Neil Rice. This debate will follow Smart Talk's normal conversational format. Two exceptions, though. The candidates will get 30 seconds to introduce themselves and 60 seconds each for closing statements. We won't be taking phone calls during the program. WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Office of Saul Ewing, LLP. Gentlemen, welcome to the program, and thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having us. going to start off in alphabetical order, and Ethan Demi, I'll start with you. 30 seconds to just provide some background to voters. Sure. Thank you, Scott. Um, my name's Ethan Demi. I'm a township supervisor in East Lampeter Township, which is one of the largest townships in Lancaster with over 17,000 residents. And I'm also a small business owner with 46 employees. In both of those roles, I continually bump up against an inflexible state government that makes it difficult to innovate and find solutions to problems. I've also lost key vendors who have moved out of state due to our high taxes and high regulations. So I'm running so we can fix these problems and get Pennsylvania back to work. Thank you very much. Scott Martin, how about you? Sure. First, got to throw a shout out to my sister Kelly and my niece Maggie, who are big fans of your program, who are listening at home. I told them I'd do that. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, I just finished up my second term as a Lancaster County Commissioner uh, in Lancaster County. I'm a lifelong Lancaster County resident, Lancaster Catholic High School, Middlesville University. Uh, before my days as a commissioner, I worked in juvenile corrections. I worked with delinquent and dependent children, trying to turn their lives around and keep our community safe. Did that for about 13 years uh, and heavily involved in a lot of statewide things, but a uh, 15-year real estate career as well. Thank you very much. Neil Rice, how about you? Yeah, good morning, Scott. Good Thanks morning. for having us on. Uh, I'm Neil Rice. I live in West Lampeter Township with my wife, Melissa, and our family. Um, I'm a former military officer, Iraq War veteran, I started and built a small business as a business attorney, and I help other businesses grow and expand and create new jobs. And, uh, you know, I look at it this way. My wife and I look at our children, and we realize that the things that we do today are going to affect their future, and that's why I decided to step forward and run for state senate. Thank you. All right, let's get into it, uh, discussing some of the issues. Uh, Scott Martin, let me start with you. And I'm going to ask all three of you this, uh, this same question. Uh, and you all three mentioned to me that you've been knocking on a lot of doors. What are two, excuse me, what are one or two, maybe even more, of the issues that you're hearing from your constituents or would-be constituents that matter most to them? I think uh, by far, in talking to uh, residents in the 13th District, the two biggest things I hear about, first and foremost, is the tax burden, namely property taxes uh, on, on folks. Um, I know there's been a lot of debate. I know the governor wanted to take uh, another $12 billion worth of taxes out of the economy, um, and where there's a lot of pressures on, on residents, especially with high school property taxes, um, they're really feeling the pinch. And I think the second thing uh, I would probably say I hear the most about is Harrisburg's inability to get the job done. Uh, which most notably the conversation is surrounding the uh, budget stalemate, uh, the impact that it had not only on those most in need, but seeing school districts that were talking about closing, county governments. You know, here in Lanc Lancaster County, we had to borrow $35 million just to make sure we could keep our prison open uh, and also our 911 center as, you know, we were fronting costs for various state mandates that they weren't funding. Mm -hmm. uh, Neil Rice, what about you? Yeah, it's interesting because recently F&M did a poll 
poll among voters asking them what the most important issue is. And what I've been hearing out there actually mimics that poll. And that is, you know, it wasn't a specific issue. It was simply that the biggest problem people think we face right now is government and politicians themselves. And so what I'm hearing as I go around and meet with voters is that they're ready for new leadership, people from from what I would call the real world, to take a different different approach to government. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Ethan Denny, what about you? Uh, two big things. One is that nothing is getting done in Harrisburg, whether it's Republicans or the Democrats. Everyone just yells a lot and nothing actually happens. Um, and that the other big thing is they get a lot of negative mail. And I usually start by saying, I'm the only person who's not sending you a negative mailer. And that usually gets me into a conversation with them. All right. Well, let's talk about that issue, because the three of you have mentioned the dysfunction in Harrisburg. You know, and I have to admit that uh, I went online as I'm doing research for the program, and I saw a lot of the comments in LMP, and you can tell that there are a lot of voters who are pretty cynical out there. Uh, But one of the things mentioned is being a freshman senator, that, you know, there were a number of people who commented and said that, uh, you know, you're newly elected to the Senate. What can you get done? Leadership is going to tell you you know, when you can speak up, what you can do, how you're supposed to vote and all that. Since we are talking about uh, the dysfunction in Harrisburg, what would you do to change that? And what do you say to those people who say that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, you are a a freshman and there's not a whole lot you can do about it? Neil Rice, I'll start with you. Yeah, well, first off, no matter who's elected, there'll be a freshman senator. So we'll all start the same place. No no way uh, around that. Yeah. yeah. But I'll tell you, I have a long record of team building, coalition building, moving people towards common goals. Uh, As a military officer in Baghdad, I was in charge of rebuilding a war-torn neighborhood of over 50,000 people, which meant that I was the person who had to try to convince Islamic religious leaders, newly elected government officials who, frankly, Scott, had no clue how democracy could possibly work for them. Uh, business leaders, others in the community, to put their differences aside and actually find common ground to work together and rebuild that community. When I look at Harrisburg, I see a lot of similarities. It's a complex environment. I have to laugh because I've never heard the uh, the comparison between Harrisburg and an Iraqi village. Yeah, (laughs) but but it is certainly very apt because I see a very complex, um, high-stakes, high-pressure environment where people aren't getting along. I've delivered results in that environment before. I think I can do it again. Mm -hmm. Ethan, what about you? I think uh, dealing with leadership and going to Harrisburg, one of the big things you can do as a freshman senator is you can actually lead by example. So when I started this campaign back in November, I said, I'm not going to take a pension. If you're having to sit down and negotiate with teachers about reducing future pension obligations, you should lead by example and not take a state pension. I'm happy that my opponents joined me in that thing to say, we can all step forward and say, well, we'll lead by example. I think not taking any pensions or perks goes a long way. And the big one is, which I hear all the time, no budget, no pay. If there's no budget, no elected officials should get a paycheck, start to impact their own back pockets. And that might get some things moving. What would you have done differently if you were in the Senate during this, uh, this impasse? I think a lot of it is actually sitting down with people on the other side who you disagree with. Um, I run a family business, and so I learned a lot in the family business world of having to vehemently disagree with my family members, but in a way that we still eat Thanksgiving dinner together. So I think a lot of that says we need to disagree, stand strong, but still hang out and have a social life together. And I think that would go a long way in Harrisburg, just sitting down and talking to the opponents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Martin, what about you with that uh, being a freshman and uh, what you could do to try to make sure that we don't 
have the same uh, budget stalemate and kind of the same attitude that we have in or atmosphere, I should say, that we have in Harrisburg right now. Uh, well, not all freshman centers are equal in terms <laughs> of who goes up there. I'll tell you first, let me point to it. I got involved because of dysfunction. And anyone who ever followed the news remembers what county government was like in Lancaster County. Grand jury investigations, uh, high taxes and borrowing continually. And that's what drew me in was kind of the empty promises of politicians and why I got involved. And if anyone's been watching over the course of the last eight years, they have seen county government go below the radar in a bipartisan way. You know, two Republicans and a Democrat and make some of the really tough decisions that needed to get done, most of which were done unanimously. Um, in order to fix the problems that were at hand. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time working on reform issues, not only locally, but things that impact us from the state level. And you're right, navigating the political waters at the state uh, for the things that not only impact Pennsylvanians in general, but all the local governments and the school districts and the unfunded mandates. Um, I've spent about eight years fighting against those things. And you always seem like you, you're gaining ground and pushing the envelope where you can get it by building coalitions. And that takes experience being able to do that. Um, but I point back to our record in Lancaster County. We were able to get that done here in a bipartisan fashion. And it's that same kind of mentality I believe we can take to Harrisburg and make well, a difference. Well, let's talk specifically about that because I know there are other former commissioners uh, who are running for the legislature, and uh, many of them have said the same thing. Now, there's three commissioners in most Pennsylvania counties. Correct. Um, you know, two from one party and one from the other. Uh, it's much easier to navigate these political waters when you only have two other personalities you're deal with, dealing right. with. In this case, though, in the Senate, you're dealing with um, almost 50 others. Yep. How can you apply that experience? Well, let me, let me put it from this standpoint. I was also the elected president of the Republican Caucus of County Commissioners statewide. In essence, we got people to rally around common things, not necessarily the things that we disagreed with, but we're, what, what can we work on together? And we took that model in framing legislation, which we had to work with our Democratic colleagues with the County Commissioners Association of Pennsylvania in order to advocate changes to legislation, sometimes stopping certain pieces of legislation. And you're right, it's it's not easy. But the ability to rally and get people to work together and rally around the things we can rally about and not spend all our time debating on things that may not change um, – is not an easy task. And uh, we were able to do it. We were able to get a lot of good things done in Harrisburg that we often don't hear about uh, uh, through news outlets. You know, we hear about a lot of the big issues going on at the state. But uh, we were able to accomplish that by getting the right leaders in place. I want to ask all three of you this, but uh, Scott, since you're talking about the reaching across the aisle, um, name me a Democrat that you admire and why. Scott, you're up first. Oh, Democrat that I'm on. Well, you know, I often thought I look back in history. John F. Kennedy um, was a, a Democrat that, that really overcame a lot of barriers. Um, may not agree with him and everything. I think the Demo Democratic Party, in a lot of ways, is a lot, little bit different than it was back then. Uh, but when your uh, parents name put your middle name as Fitzgerald, <laughs> you know, for a Catholic family, uh, I look back on that. But I think there's other examples of folks in Harrisburg who are willing to to, to come together. On issues, I have Democratic colleagues across the state that are county commissioners. George Hartwick here in Dauphin County. I can't tell you the amount of human service reforms we've worked on together. We don't agree on everything, but there's things that we've been able to put down the sabers on on, on issues to work to get things done to make human services more efficient and more effective. You know, Rice, Democrat for you, the yeah. chairman. Yeah, I think it's important to be able to uh, have good relationships with people who you disagree with. And so, yeah, I think that's a good question. And I would also I would say John F. Kennedy um, 
on policy is a Democrat that I would admire because, you know, he, he fought for across the board tax cuts and he was strong against communism. But those are those are things that maybe we don't see uh, so much out of the Democratic Party these days. But I certainly admire that. Now, unfortunately, I think his personal life um, maybe takes away from from his legacy. But on policy, I would I would say JFK. I admire him. Uh, Nathan, excuse me, Ethan Demi. Uh, yes, I'm going to give a shout out to, to James Reichenbach in Lancaster City. He's on uh, city council down there. I got to know him actually by working the polls against uh, some Democrat city council members. And at the end, after the election, we went out to and had a drink. Um, and I've worked with him on several issues. He's one where we can find common ground because our East Lampeter Township abuts the city. And so there's, city, there's issues that are we can agree on. There's plenty that we disagree on. But at the end of the day, we can sit down and have a conversation. Well, you see, that's one of the things that we're told is missing in Washington and Harrisburg, not as much as what we used to have, is that socializing. And I'm not necessarily you do it uh, where you go and have a drink. Well, that's a good way to do it. Uh, but, you know, out off the floor of the House or the Senate, where uh, you are talking as colleagues and friends rather than being, because it seems today that we have uh, this polarization that it be, has become personal when you uh, disagree. Is that something that the three of you would uh, embrace, that uh, if you have your Democratic colleagues, that uh, it would be more than just talking about uh, policy on the floor of the Senate? Oh, yeah, I would. I, I absolutely would, because I believe the starting place to get things moving again in Harrisburg is to build trust with one another. Not that you're going to agree with one another on every issue, but to build trust and relationships over the long term. We didn't get to this place of gridlock in Harrisburg overnight, and we're not going to dial it back overnight either, but we have to send people who have that skill that they can respect one another and disagree respectfully. You know, when I was in Baghdad, I had to do that all the time, talking with people who, you know, we weren't sure if they were helping us or hurting us because we didn't always know what they were doing when they left a meeting with us. But you know what? We had to move forward and trust and build relationships over time so that we could get things done. And that's what I'll do in Harrisburg. Ethan, you mentioned Thanksgiving. You going to invite any Democrats to Thanksgiving next year? Possibly. I mean, there's two examples <laughs> that I've taken some good ideas from. One is I was actually at a, at a social event with Lieutenant Governor Stack, um, and I got the no budget, no pay thing from him. That's the way it used to be done when he was in the Senate. We were talking about that. Another great Democrat in Pennsylvania is, is the Auditor General, Eugene DePasquale. And so I was hanging out with him talking about how, as an East Lampeter Township supervisor, we could actually look at, at some of our unfunded liabilities in our pension system. So I've taken a lot of great ideas from, from two men who I disagree with on a lot of other issues, but it was over hors d'oeuvres at a social function. Mm. That's how we got the ideas rolling. Commissioner Martin? Well, when you're the oldest of seven kids, there, there's there's people on both sides of the aisle. So, But we do tend to try not to talk politics over turkey. But anyways, the uh, you know one of the best things when uh, we came into office in uh, January of 2008, after we got elected in November of seven. Uh, Dennis Stuckey, Craig Lehman, the two other commissioners, Republican and Democrat, we took, we all went out to dinner and brought our wives out. And what it did was, in essence, gave a personal feel to it. So this job can be very passionate. This job discusses really important things. But at the end of the day, you got to remember that people are going home to families at the end of the day. And so we never tried to personalize anything. At the end of the day, you could be debating things like paycheck protection or, or pension reform, whatever it might be. 
you always said at the end of the day, say hi to the wife and kids for me. And, and to me, that personal feel was the key to the success we've had over the last eight years and really bringing that courthouse calm to Lancaster County. We're going to get into some uh, more specific issues here in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guests today are the Republican candidates for the state Senate in the 13th District, Ethan Demme, Scott Martin, and Neil Rice. The 13th District is located in Lancaster County. Well, gentlemen, we just talked about cooperation and reaching across the aisle, but uh, it is an adversarial relationship we have here today. The three are competing for the state Senate seat. Um, So I'm going to ask the three of you, and this is to help voters out there, kind of provide some differences uh, so they can see the differences. And uh, Ethan, Debbie, I'll start with you. Why are you a better candidate uh, than the other two? I think uh, on most of the issues, honestly, I'll be honest here, most of us are going to vote pretty much the same way. We're, we're Republicans from Lancaster County. A lot of it comes into what type of background and resume do you think is best suited to take to Harrisburg and how we're going to govern. So I have a business background and I have a local government background. I think that government experience and the business experience combined make me the best candidate. Mm-hmm. Scott Martin, what about you? Well, I, I think by far people expect proven results. And of all the candidates that are sitting here, there's no, no greater change that has occurred in Lancaster County and gotten more done than, than what we have done with our candidacy here and what we're able to tout. Um, people expect people to lead on issues. They expect people to be vocal and be able to communicate about those issues and to build coalitions. Um, these are things that I have done. Um, and, you know, serving that role is eight years with the citizens of Lancaster County and, and, and coming to meet what their expectations expectations are. I think that clearly sets us apart. But I agree with Ethan. Uh, I think you're going to hear a lot of the same answers to the questions of the day. Um, But I think the ability to get proven results and have a record that you can really look at is what's really important to folks. And I believe that's why we're getting support and endorsements by everyone who's basically endorsing in this primary. Neil Rice, why are you the best candidate? Yeah, well, I think this comes down to the kind of experience that we want to send to Harrisburg. And, you know, my opponents talk a lot about their government experience. But, you know, as as, conser- as a conservative Republican, I don't want us to get caught up in that liberal way of thinking that says government experience or government is the answer to our problems. You know, Ronald Reagan once said government isn't the solution to our problems. It is the problem. And so what we need to do is send someone with real world, fresh experience and I think that's exactly what I bring, leadership experience from the military that's combat tested, business experience, having started and built my own business and having counseled literally hundreds of other businesses on how to grow and expand and create new jobs. That's the kind of new experience we need to send to Harrisburg. Gentlemen, I mentioned to you right up front that what makes this a little bit different is the opportunity to interact with one another. I imagine the two of you would like to respond to that. Uh, Scott Martin, how do you respond to that? That, And let's face it, on the presidential level this year, we keep hearing about outsiders Mm -hmm. that public is looking for outsiders. So how do you respond to that? Uh, People are sick of talk. They're sick of empty promises, and when they look at things occurring, um, you know, we, we, we've discussed this a, a lot in, in different forms, and, you know, I, uh, I hear a lot about real-world experience, and I hear a lot about, uh, you know, the private sector discussions, and I just point to the fact that uh, the organizations out there, ABC Contractors, the Pennsylvania Association of Realtors, LCAR, um, the Pennsylvania Business Council, for all the talk of the importance of private sector experience, the private sector organizations 
are supporting my candidacy. And I've seen a lot of uh, uh, talk about from, from folks out there that says, well, we're going to get in there and change this, or I'm going to use this and change that. Quite frankly, I saw that too in Lancaster County over the years. But when the rubber hits the road, you know, here comes a guy out of the juvenile justice system as a worker, not as a resident, and uh, we ended up doing more reforms in Harrisburg, or I'm sorry, in Lancaster County, um, that have ever been done in the history. We were able to balance budgets that haven't been structurally balanced in 30 years, and we also were able to do it in a bipartisan fashion. So, uh, whenever I'm talking with voters, they understand the difference between empty talk uh, or People are talking a much bigger game than what their resume truly represents. And, and quite frankly, voters are sick of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ethan, before I give an opportunity to, to weigh in here, I want to go back to uh, Neil Rice and what, what you say to that. Yeah, well, you know, Scott's saying, uh, keeps saying people are talking, and I can tell he's directing that at me. But, you know, I, I, I'm not sure. I guess Scott thinks that it's just talking to leave your private sector job to join the military and fight our war on terrorism, that it's just talking to lead our brave troops in contact uh, on the ground in Baghdad trying to keep our country safe, that it's just talking, coming back and starting and building your own business, that it's just talking, helping other businesses grow and expand and create new jobs. Well, I I don't think that's talk. That's action, and it's the exact kind of action people want to see in Harrisburg. I don't think anyone brought up a slight on his military service. Quite frankly, I come from a a family full of folks who served in the military. I've employed a lot of veterans, and including providing internship opportunities for veterans, which Neil just took advantage of just a few short years ago in our district attorney's office. So that's not to slight what he has come out and done. But when you want to talk about and utilize that as real world business experience, I'd actually ask your listeners to see who's the business community actually supporting. You know, I look at the job that Ethan's done for probably the last 15 years of my life. I've seen this guy involved as well as a community leader being involved. I'm talking pointing to Ethan, um, being involved in making a difference in his community and serving honorably and trying to build his, you know, expand his family's business. And so I've seen that actually put to work. So so then so then Ethan's business experience matters and mine doesn't. Is that what you're saying? No, no, I actually I'm I'm not saying yours doesn't. I wish you all the best in expanding your business. However, what I'm saying is by by basically consistently referring to that that your real world experience somehow dwarfs those of someone who's actually running a bigger business here as well or well, someone get, that who has made a difference in our community I don't think is right let me get Ethan Demi in here and uh, you know you can respond to anything the other candidates have said well, I think one of the things to understand here is there's certain types of the resume that matter um, and, I, and I think Neil would you ran for township supervisor in East Lampeter 12 years ago if you had won that seat, you'd be the insider now, apparently. Um, you've been wanting to get into this game for a little while now. Um, but if you look straight at the military record, that's fantastic. Is that your endorsement of Joe Sestak over Pat Toomey? <laughs> did, you en- did you endorse Sestak over Toomey? No, I have no idea where that's coming from. Uh, that's just an odd from? question. Where is it coming from? Well, Joe Sestak also served our country admirably, oh. and you had Pat Toomey, who was a local land planning commissioner and then a small business owner who ran for office. That, that's just a weird question to ask, Ethan. What I'm telling you, what I'm, the argument I'm making is this. Voters are sick of politics as usual, which you just demonstrated. And voters are sick of typical politicians 
talking uh, like you guys are talking now. What I'm saying is I'm going to bring a fresh voice, new experience that matters and can get things done in Harrisburg. And Scott mentioned all of his business endorsements and this endorsement and that. Well, you know, what you're talking about, Scott, is a political establishment. So you're, the political establishment is endorsing you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised by that. All right, let me go on to some other issues. Uh, the, we've been talking, and, and it's it's been like the big issue this year statewide is uh, the budget impasse that uh, went nine months. Uh, we have a real difference of opinion between uh, Governor Wolf and Republicans in the legislature. Republicans uh, in the legislature, especially in the House, said they did not want to raise taxes. Uh, Governor Wolf says that more money is needed to close a structural deficit and uh, provide additional funding to education and other agencies. First of all, do you agree that more revenue is needed? Secondly, are there any taxes or any occasion that you would agree to raise taxes? What would they be? Uh, Ethan, let me start with you. Well, I think the biggest thing to understand is is the House and the Senate did pass a budget that did have a revenue increase of almost 3.8%. According to both of my opponents' written statements, neither one of them would have voted for that because that increased spending at greater than Social Security CPI, and it didn't... And it, passed with only a majority vote, not a supermajority. So those are two things where I would agree that the House and the Senate did their job and actually passed a, a good budget that was actually had a revenue increase in there with more money and dollars for education. Now, now are you talking about the one that Governor Wolf allowed to become law? Uh, the, the initial one actually had a little bit of a higher revenue increase. The one he allowed to become law was about 3.6% increase, I think. Okay. Is there an occasion where you would agree to a tax increase? Yes. I think there are plenty of cases where those are. And those, I mean, you look back and we just raised taxes on um, the gas tax to fund transportation. That's a core function of government where transportation, we had roads and bridges that were literally falling over uh, and unsafe. And we needed to make that investment. And to do that, you had to raise some revenue. What about uh, natural gas drillers? Governor wants a severance tax. I think having an industry-specific tax isn't a good idea. Um, having the, the impact fee that actually takes that money to where it's actually impacting those local communities, I support that impact fee, and I think that should remain in place. Mm-hmm. Scott Martin, same question to you. Actually, sure. a series of questions to you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first and foremost, there's there's other ways to gr- grow revenue in the state government. We need our economy to grow. You know, Pennsylvania it has one of the higher tax burdens out of most of the 50 states across the country. And ironically, there's no better symbol of that than the kind of programs it creates to draw businesses, Keystone Opportunity Expansion Zones, Keystone Opportunity Zones, you know, other kind of districts where they actually give tax incentives. And all of a sudden, you're able to draw major uh, employers to Lancaster County, like Urban Outfitters or Nordstrom's or other groups like that with, you know, good jobs. You know, to me, if we allowed Pennsylvania to become more business friendly, all right, we could bring it. If we will grew our energy infrastructure to draw back more manufacturing jobs to this state, you know, that have really good family sustaining wages, usually what typically happens in those cases is that government, re- government revenues actually tend to increase. You know, there's more taxes being taken out of paychecks or, or whatever it might be. And so for me, we don't we should not be going back to um, taxpayers when there are so many 
big ticket items that need to be reformed. Pensions, the liquor stores. You know, how come Pennsylvania only allows 30 counties out of the 67 to do human service block granting, which actually saved 10% for all the counties who are able to block grant, but they don't let the other 37 uh, counties participate in it. pilot program, right? Well, yeah, I think it's going on year four of being a pilot program. And of course, special interests sue to stop it. You know, they want Harrisburg's one-size-fits-all approach. But you cannot look people in the eye and say there's not things that can be done to change spending and make it more efficient. But we need to grow revenues by making Pennsylvania more business tax-friendly. Is there a tax increase that you would support? I, you know, I, I point back to what Ethan just said. You know, Pennsylvania has some of the most oldest transportation infrastructure, and we're all well aware of structurally deficient bridges on every level, local governments and also uh, the bridges counties had, and also obviously PennDOT. Um, for me, they had no choice but to take that vote. I know it's kind of painful when people maybe drive from New Jersey and see gas 40 cents a gallon cheaper. However, Pennsylvania is the keystone state. I think we have more miles of roads and bridges than most states. State, state maintained. State, yeah. yeah, state maintained. And the evidence of that infrastructure crumbling and what it means to moving people and goods and services. So uh, our entire Lancaster County delegation, I believe, supported that because it had to be done. And having chaired the Lancaster County Transportation Coordinating Committee and seeing what needs weren't being met, uh, that money did make a difference. What about severance tax and natural gas drillers? I, I think right now, when you look, you go back maybe two, three years ago, there was about 148 operating rigs in Pennsylvania. And of course, we did the impact fee, uh, of course, the price of gasoline and its impact. Right. And big thing too is the ability to move it. There's a lot of wells that are capped off right now because what fifty percent of Pennsylvanians don't have access to natural gas. And there's a whole wide of other issues, you know, you know, gas trains and stuff like that that go into that. But um, for me, most of those rigs have shut down. I think we're down to forty low forties operating currently in Pennsylvania. They're going to Ohio, they're going to West Virginia to operate too. Uh, I think the talk of that um, kind of really has also helped us of an additional severance tax. But you're right. It's an industry-specific uh, tax that, that you really need to say, is that the right thing to do? Or we're going to start going after other specific industries? Uh, it's not right. And the thing I always want your listeners to remember is, is when we talk about taxing Marcellus, for anyone to think that those costs aren't going to be passed right back to the consumer as well. And during this time, and it's still kind of sluggish out there for families, you know, do we want to see higher energy prices, or does that run counter to, to bringing good manufacturing jobs and other family-sustaining jobs in Lancaster, uh, Lancaster County and Pennsylvania? Neil Rice, what about the, the tax situation in Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, of course, there could be scenarios where tax increases are necessary, but I believe it should be an absolute last resort. I think we should be uh, finding ways to be more efficient with spending the taxpayers' money. I think we should find waste and eliminate it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think... Beyond that, what we need to do is create a better environment for our businesses and entrepreneurs to grow and expand. I don't think we need more taxes. We need more tax payers. That is, people who have decent-paying, family-sustaining jobs. That's how we'll grow our revenue over the long term. All right. So you're talking about creating jobs. A few things there. Uh, you, uh, you you talked about. Um, well, let's start with the paying job. What, what do you need to, to, for family-sustaining jobs to bring to, to Pennsylvania? Yeah, we need to cut through the 
uh, enormous tax and regulatory burden that we have in this state. We have the second highest corporate net income tax in the state at 9.99%. We have a regulatory structure that licenses and controls over 62 uh, 62 different occupations. Um, And the reason that we don't see the economic growth that, that we ought to is because we're not an attractive place for new business. Something, you, something else you said, you said about uh, waste, cutting waste. Every Republican says that. Yeah. Name me some area or something that can be cut. Yeah, I think what we should do is go through each government bureaucracy and figure out exactly how they're spending the taxpayers' money and where we can uh, cut and reduce those expenditures. The first place I think maybe we ought to look is the Department of Education. The Auditor General recently released a report that identified over $200 million worth of what he thought was wasteful spending. And so we can go through um, each uh, department of government and try and find ways to make it more efficient. And that's what I think we ought to do. Would you support... um a tax increase on uh, natural gas drillers, or a tax, I should say, a severance tax. No, no I wouldn't. I'll tell you why. Um, right now, I think one of the things that people don't realize or is, isn't part of this discussion is these these companies that are here uh, extracting natural gas, which, by the way, on a broader spectrum, is a national security issue um, because it really reduces our dependency on foreign oil. But these companies already pay all the same taxes that every other business pays in Pennsylvania. Then on top of that, they pay an impact fee. And now there's the possibility of an additional tax on top of that. Well, we're not the only place that has um, uh, the opportunity to extract natural gas. So if we continue to layer burden and burden burden upon burden on these companies, they're going to go elsewhere and take their jobs with them. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guests today, the Republican candidates for the state Senate in the 13th District, Ethan Demme, Scott Martin, and Neil Rice. The 13th District is located in Lancaster County. Uh, Gentlemen, all three of you mentioned uh, property taxes when uh, you've been out knocking on doors, uh, speaking with uh, your constituents. Uh, Let's talk about that. Uh, There have been a number of solutions or proposals made over the last few years. But the problem is, is that they all have to be revenue neutral, at least revenue neutral, uh, and that while property taxes are reduced or eliminated, the revenue has to be made up somewhere else. Scott Martin, what about you? What do you support as far as property tax reform? Uh, It's a a very tough issue, and and quite frankly, you're looking to have to replace $14 billion if you want to remove property taxes from the equation. And so we've seen many bills come forward to either eliminate uh, property taxes or to try to greatly reduce it. Um, you can look at it from three different spectrums. The school ones, obviously, the 800-pound gorilla. Then you got the county that relies on property taxes, and then you got municipalities that fund with property taxes too. What my experience is in fighting for property tax reform um, is that Pennsylvania is so diverse from an economic standpoint that I would even have Republican colleagues up in different counties in the T part of the state. And when you bring up the pressure of property taxes. They're like, what are you talking about? But if you talk about replacing property taxes with a sales tax, they get a little worried about that because they may not have the local economies that can drive the revenues necessary for them to provide their services. For me, and there could be constitutional issues that need to be addressed in making it occur, I think the solution to property tax reform isn't one size fits all from Harrisburg. I don't think you'll ever build a coalition statewide because we all feel different pressures. I think it's from a regional perspective that if you're able to look at giving options as to what tax structure actually fits the local local economy the best there and that they're able to sustain it, I think that's critical. 
We also have to be mindful in any type of property tax reform legislation is that the monies that you're sending to Harrisburg, and obviously if more is being sent to Harrisburg through PIT or through or, or personal, personal income tax right. or sales taxes, funding formulas are a huge issue. So if we're sending more revenue, and you know, Lancaster County is always on the short end of the stick, have been for 50 years on every category where we're one of the top tax contributing counties to the Commonwealth. But when it comes back to money that's educating our kids, fixing our roads and bridges, libraries, human service funding, we're always in the bottom five. So we have to be on guard to make sure that if we're sending more to Harrisburg from a different tax perspective, that all of a sudden we're, we're getting actually right. less. Let me have the other candidates uh, weigh in here. Uh, Neil Rice, what about property taxes? What do you support? Yeah, I, I support property tax reform. I think the property tax is an unfair burden on landowners and especially our seniors. Um, but uh, the proposals that are out there essentially replace the property tax with increased personal income tax increase sales tax and broadening right. the goods and services right. that the sales tax is applicable to. Uh, I always get a little uncomfortable with the idea of sending money that was uh, handled at the local level up to Harrisburg to be dispersed from there. Um, so there are definitely some challenges to doing this well. The first thing, I think, is if we're sending money to Harrisburg to be dispersed from the capital, we need to make sure that there's a fair funding formula to do that. There is a basic education funding formula that has bipartisan support. I taken a look at it. I think it, it seems fair to me. I think I would support that. Uh, but the other thing is we have to make sure we maintain local control of our schools. That's a very important issue to me. I've been talking with several uh, of our local school board members, and it's a, it's a concern of theirs as well, rightly so. And so we have to keep sending people to Harrisburg who are going to work to make sure that funding from Harrisburg doesn't also mean more mandates from Harrisburg on our local school districts. Ethan Demi. Uh, yes, a lot of people, when they talk about property tax reform, then put a bunch of but, 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 or all the caveats in there, or we've got to reform to change the Constitution to fix it. I think there's some practical things we can do right now that don't require change in the Constitution, don't require a whole lot of caveats, uh, because to get robust and real property tax reform, you have to look at who is it impacting who has the biggest problem? And those are your low-income families, your families on a fixed income. So I think expanding Pennsylvania's circuit breaker when it comes to property taxes, removing the 65 age limit where it starts and making it a percentage of income would be a really good first step. Uh, because when we remove the, the local control, run all the money up to Harrisburg, we're not going to get back as much as we put in. And that's what we're finding out now. Even though we have this funding formula, the governor unilaterally decided to use his own funding formula. And now we're, we're not getting nearly as much money in, in Lancaster County. We're losing millions of dollars as a result of one man's decision in Harrisburg. And I don't want to put all of those tax dollars to let him make those decisions. You know, I'm, I'm curious, now, and Scott, I'll get to you in just a, a second here. Something that uh, Neil mentioned, uh, that you hear that local control is very important. Pennsylvania has 500 local school districts. I've heard candidates suggest, not necessarily the three of you, but I've heard other candidates suggest that uh, maybe we don't need quite as many school districts. Ethan, what do you think? I think the biggest one is finding out who should make that decision. So I've been an advocate from the very beginning of referendum reform to allow the voters, as James Madison said, the power of the government comes from the people. So if we give the power to the people to be able to make by a single vote uh, to change the extent of either giving government more power or less power or consolidating, let's let the people make that decision by giving but, them access to the ballot for, through referendum. But realistically, I mean, that, that, that sounds great, but realistically... 
who is going to stay? Because we have this identity thing in Pennsylvania that, you know, I live in Eastleigh Lampier Township. I'm a, you know, I don't want to merge with my neighboring township. Same with school districts. You know, I support our sports team. I don't like those guys across the street or across the border. So, I mean, referendum, that would be maybe democracy at its best. But would people realistically do that? Well, all you have to do is look at states that have it, and you see what they've done. You see more consolidation in areas where you have ballot access and referendum for the people. And that way, they can make the decision based off of their own identity. If they want to merge, then they can merge. If they don't want to, they don't have to. Right now, in order to make any of these changes, it has to originate in the legislature or originate in uh, the local government jurisdiction and run twice on the ballot, which means it never actually happens. Scott Barney, you wanted to follow up, but also ask you that question about yeah. consolidation. Uh, my little plug, when just to follow up with Ethan, was the fact that it's when you talk about property tax burden, you cannot look away from what are the drivers truly of that cost. I mean, the, the pension obligation that continues to just swallow up more and more of school districts' budgets, the, bureauc the bureaucratic requirements put on school districts, prevailing wage, all these things. You also have to look on the spending side and what can free that up. But uh, to go directly to your question, you can not only talk about this through the lens of school districts, but also local governments. The problem here is, and of course we're all aware when Pennsylvania went from, what, 2,000 school districts down to 501, at the time it was the largest turnover in the legislature. I mean, the people really revolted against that. People are very suspect when government goes up, meaning that you're giving control to a higher entity, that they trust that their dollars are going to be spent wisely or it's not just going to be shifted away to an area that, quote unquote, has more need. And you can understand that. We've pro you know, government has proven that over time, that it does do that, and it, and it shifts resources to other places. Um, I think what you're starting to see, though, and I think the economy and the economic conditions really drove that, is you're seeing more and more school districts, more and more municipalities working together on combined services, regionalized police, um, um, various IT-related programs between three school districts in Lancaster County to get online education. Uh, you know, when things start heading in that direction because the economics are requiring it and people start to see that it's working, I, I really believe you'll start and continue to see more of it moving in that direction. However, what you mentioned that... Um, I don't want to lose my Man I'm Central football team or, or whatever it might be. That's actually a very real feeling amongst many people. But really what drives it is they don't want to see their money taken from them and sent to other places. Neil Rice? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't want to consolidate school districts in the sense, you know, that the Lampeter Strasburg pioneers are now merged with the Conestoga Valley Buckskins. Not interested in that. However, I think we can uh, have a lot of savings, potentially, by streamlining and consolidating the overall management of school districts. So, for example, does every school district need a business department with two or three people in it? Does every school district, um, you know, need um, this the web development department? Or can we consolidate those things? And so I've been looking at what other states are doing. Um, and one state that I keep looking at is Virginia. You know, in Virginia, they only spend 70 cents on the dollar for what we spend here in Pennsylvania, but they're consistently ranked in the top 10 in terms of outcomes for their schools. I look at that and say, well, we're spending uh, a heck of a lot more per pupil, uh, but our results, we're typically in the bottom half of results for our students. So I want to make sure that our money 
is actually going the furthest and getting down to the ground level with the teachers and students where it can be used best. You all three mentioned pensions. This is a huge issue in Pennsylvania for uh, public pensions for retired state workers and retired educators. Scott Martin, I'll start with you. What do you advocate to try to get that $50 billion debt under control? First and foremost, you got to stop the bleeding. And uh, I believe that we need to, if, you, if you're going to focus on the past, I know people think, well, we should go backwards, and, and you're never going to win that in a court, namely because they're also getting state pensions. You're not going to be able to change it, and court cases have held that up. Moving forward, I think you need to move all new hires to defined contribution plans. You know, uh, you're seeing most mostly in the private sector or some hybrids of it. Style 401k uh, style plans and move away from defined benefits. You have to stop the bleeding somewhere. You have to look at uh, exactly where the investments are being made, is the appropriate risk being taken. I often, as you hear about pensions from two different angles, you have the $8 billion unfunded liabilities for local governments, municipalities, right. and then you have the $50 billion monster that's, you know, SIRS and PSIRS. And what you're never going to be able to, right now they just keep kicking the can down the road or using wrong actuarial assumptions or try to smooth things out. Um, you have to stop the bleeding. I go back to what I said earlier. You have to start meeting your obligations for those who are in that current system, uh, paying those ARC payments. In order to do that, we need to generate more revenue. Right. Can I stop you for sure. a second? Because we are starting to run on sure. time. But let me just follow up because I'm going to ask the other two candidates mm-hmm. the this, this same thing. When you say we have to move to a 401-style can- are you t- now obviously 401k-style uh, plan, um, are you talking about all new hires from the day forward that that would be adopted? Absolutely. You okay. know, and I believe myself and even these two guys have also said the same, that they're going to refuse right. the pension. All right. Well, let me let me go to Neil Rice. So what about this? Yeah, here's why this, this matters. So we have a uh, nearly $60 billion unfunded liability now. If we don't change things, you look at the number and it absolutely skyrockets from there moving forward. I think about it this way. You know, my son Hudson, he's not even two years old yet. But 25 years from now, when he's trying to raise his own family and provide for his family, if we don't fix this problem, how much more is the government going to have to reach into his paycheck and pull tax money out of it? And how much less is he going to have to provide for his family? This is a big issue. We've got to get under control. The first thing that we need to do is move all new workers to a 401k style plan. And then, um, you know, I look at it this way in the private sector. Um, those of us who have IRAs, 401ks, we take the risk of our investment choices, and that's how it should be in the public sector as well. So if 30 years from now when my wife and I are, are trying to retire, if our, if our assumptions and our risks and, and our investment decisions didn't pan out, I don't get to go to the taxpayers and say, hey, can you make up the difference? But we've created a system here where the risk for these investments is on the taxpayers. And that's not right. We've got to change that. Mm-hmm. Ethan Denny, what about you? Pensions. The uh, number one thing is you need to stop the bleeding and actually find out what our debt is, because it's not a $50 million debt. It's an unfunded liability, and those are functionally different things. Uh, The thing to understand, I think we need to both fix the problem for the state, for the taxpayer, but also for the employees, because employee pensions should be predictable, portable, and fair. So I propose actually giving people a choice. Uh, Utah has a great model where they do this, where a a new employee can actually choose either a straight 401k-style system or a defined benefit program with a liability cap. So you're actually sharing some of that liability. The taxpayer is bearing all the cost of that. And then when you give the employees the choice, they make their own decisions based on what their career paths are going to look like. How's it worked out in Utah? 
It's worked out pretty well. I just read a recent report that analyzed it, and you actually had people making both choices because you've got a newer style of worker. Some workers uh, want to work there for a couple of years, then move on. They want that portability. Other workers want to go get a nice job and then stay there until retirement. They're going to be more inclined to get more of a defined benefit contribution because it's less risk. So that, that allows you to sort of balance that talent pool because government jobs actually function differently in the private sector. As a private sector employer, I've got a 401k style matching program for all my employees, which we administer. Um, in other businesses, you're actually seeing a rise of this. It's one of the fastest growing types of pensions in the private sector is this sort of cap defined benefit program. It's coming back or a cash balance system. So not everyone in the private sector does it with a 401k. And I think we need to look at the the breadth of the private sector to look at for, for solutions to this. Uh, gentlemen, the time has really flown by here. I mean, uh, you've all been great at uh, answering questions and uh, uh, you know, talking amongst yourselves. I want to give you an opportunity for uh, a closing statement. We'll give you uh, 60 seconds each. And uh, Neil Rice, I'm going to start with you, okay? Thank you. Well, thanks for having us on. Um, I appreciate it very much. I, I believe that each of us has to do the work required. Uh, to preserve our freedoms and our way of life. Um, you know, in 1787, Benjamin Franklin signed the Constitution of the United States and then was asked, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? And he said, a republic, if you can keep it. And I think right now is we need people to push back against the dark world of politics as usual. And we have to have the courage to step into that darkness and bring uh, some light. In my hand right now, I have a... Uh, West Lampeter Township response to a right to know request that someone sent to my campaign. And this person requested information from the West Lampeter Township Police Department relating to any police activity at my opponent, Scott Martin's home. I have no idea what this is about, but it was given to me. The response was that the township consulted the district attorney, Scott's campaign chairman, and he said he would not release the information. Um, because it relates to Stop. ongoing... Uh, we're, we're done with 60 seconds there. Investigation. Thank you very much. I, I just I want to ask if, if, wanna, if Scott will, will ask his campaign chairman to publicly release that information so we can see that government is transparent right. and accountable. I can't do that right now, but uh, Ethan Demi, let me go to you. 60 seconds. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having us on. Um, this is a great one when we actually talk about issues, and I think we should talk about issues as opposed to digging up mud on other people. Um, so this is one of the ones where I think we need someone who has experience in government and experience in business who has experience innovating and finding real solutions. Uh, as have you seen in many of my answers, when I look at our problems facing Pennsylvania, I look for solutions. And I look at other states and say, how have other states solved the same problems that we're facing and how can we adapt those things and bring them back to Pennsylvania to make Pennsylvania work better? Uh, so from the very beginning, I've been about reforming the way Harrisburg works. I've fought for no budget, no pay, no pensions if elected. I think we should return to a part-time legislature, and absolutely we should have term limits for elected officials so that we have more of a turnover and, and fresh faces on a regular basis in Harrisburg would make it a lot better up there, and I think I'm the right person with that job. I have the track record. I have the experience innovating at the township level and as a small business owner to get that done. Time. Thank you very much. Scott Martin? Sure. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank your listeners for tuning in today. Uh, obviously, uh, there's so much going on, and we just were able to hit the tip of the iceberg talking about the issues that impact state government. And I can tell you that the, with all the negativity that's out there in terms of people not seeing the job get done, the good thing is, is that 
things can be done to change this. And you just need to make sure that we're putting the right people in place in order to reform Harrisburg. You know, um, it's a shame as I'm sitting here, um, you know, I've had a couple debates now with Ethan where we're talking about uh, good issues that Neil uh, and my opponent would agree, um, who's been sending out many negative mailers. I would actually like to ask, what are you actually asking about West Lane Peter Township? Because if you're asking if the police have ever been to my home, I actually find it to be insultive. As a lawyer, what you should know is the fact that where else is 911 information ever released to the general public Here's in what terms I'm asking, of, of reports? Scott, time. I'm, I'm asking well, you to I'm ask your question to be open talk. and transparent about so we what? can see what this is. What, what are you I'm, asking? That's the question. What, what, what are you trying to accuse? That, is this just another negative cloud that no. you're trying to create? No. What are um, you asking? Yeah, what are you seconds. asking? Absolutely. No, I'm not. I'm not making any accusations because nobody knows what it's about. All right. Well, what are you asking? We have ten I'm seconds. I'm asking Scott if you will, if you will, uh, ask your political campaign chairman, the DA, to publicly comment on this so that voters can know that it's that it's nothing. All right. Will you do that in the interest of transparent government? Unfortunately, we do not have enough time. We'll have to discuss this off the air. Thank you very much. Thank uh, our, all three candidates today, Ethan Demi, Scott Martin, and Neil Rice. Coming up tomorrow, we will talk with Katie McGinney, the Democratic uh, candidate for the U.S. Senate.